Welcome back to Mob Talk, everyone. Talia here, prouder to woman, and I'm with my brother boy, CP, Palawa man. We are pretty excited to be in the studio today. Got a bit of fangirling going on, really. We've got Gunga Giri, who is a world-renowned didge artist. He mixes those funky bass lines with contemporary didge. What we would say is an earth dance experience, really, but it doesn't stop there. Not only does he have this musical talent, he's also the head of Didgeridoo Australia, who works on inspiring as many people possible about our culture. Now, if you all don't know about Didgeridoo Australia, I will link the link below in our podcast description, so make sure to check it out. Welcome to Mob Talk. Talia and Chris. Before we start today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the varied lands in which we meet um, and pay all respects to Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people listening to the podcast. Thank you, Talia. So welcome back, guys, to another episode of Mob Talk. I'm Talia. And I'm Chris. And we're, we're here for a good time and to talk about everything and anything Aboriginal. And Tyler, we have a very deadly guest on today, um, a fellow Palawa man, Gunga Giri. Yeah. So welcoming to the podcast is renowned didge artist Gunga Giri, who mixes dirty, funky bass lines with contemporary didge, creating that earth dance experience. Welcome, Gunga. Welcome, Gunga. Thanks for joining us, bros. Big pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Ganga, could I just, with that introduction, could you just quickly break down or take as long as you want? How would you describe your style of music, mixing the dig with all these other cultural instruments from multiple ethnic backgrounds? Yeah, well, I guess um, for me, um, Yidaki or Didgeridoo came to me out of, um, I guess, playing drums, like drum kit. You know, when I was eight years old, I used to drive the teachers crazy. They had a chat with my mum. They said, you better buy this young fella a drum kit. So my mum got a second job. I got a drum kit, started playing drums. And then, um, you know, from a young age, like some almost 30 years ago, um, I had a dream about playing Yidaki. Um, That's a whole conversation in itself. Um, At that time, my grandfather was living up in Arnhem Land where Yidaki comes from. He was a Palawa descent from Tassie, moved to Arnhem Land because he wanted to pursue more his blackfella or, you know, Aboriginal roots. Um, and that, to this day, is still a stronghold, you know, um, you know, culture's still alive there. So I'm not sure whether it was some sort of uh, gift from him or whatever, but when I had that dream, um, I, I, I started playing. I borrowed a, a yidaki that just by chance was easy to play, taught myself how to play it, and um, then naturally I started putting rhythm through it. And then I was playing for a while and then I think uh, I started hearing a bit of dance music. Um, I started putting drum beats and beatbox through there in the early days when I didn't really have anybody to teach me how to play because, you know, I didn't grow up in a place like Arnhem Land where tradition is strong, so you sort of have to bring together and, and make your own way. So. Um, I then went to India for a year and studied, you know, percussion over there, um, different breathing techniques, whatever, um, and then started hearing dance music. And I thought, well, this computer music's all right, but I want to have something that's got a bit more soul, a bit more connection to country and the land and, like, Australia, where I come from, and just bring all these elements together. So I started um, producing and making a sound that I'd want to dance to that was sort of, you know, of, of inspiration to me in that moment. And um, 
through that, collectively, I've, I've met people from all around the world and music's that universal language, eh? You know, so you meet people, it's like you get along, there's a good energetics there, so you start making music together. And um, so it's been an amazing uh, journey for the last, you know, however many years, like, you know, I could say decades, I'm starting to sound old, eh? Yeah. Ganga, that's absolutely fascinating, bros. So what age did this sort of start? What age did you have that dream? What age did you then go to India? This is a this is a, an amazing story of self-determination, it sounds like. I'm just trying to I, I just want to know how how do you how do you how do you get at that kind of motivation and what ages were you starting to make these transitions and stepping up into the music game and realizing that this is something that I'm I, I, I enjoy and that I'm quite good at and that people really get a lot out of. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of, you know, to put it plainly, um, it's kind of been an, an almost like an urban, um, you know, cultural, ma- mixed spiritual kind of journey in a way because you can't really put words to it. It's a personal thing. And I think when, you know, something comes in a dream, you can't shake it, you know. Like you wake up and you're thinking about it and then – you can't put that thought away. And so I uh, went to the lady across the road who was, in my opinion, um, you know, she seemed a bit, you know, open-minded and somewhat spiritual. And I told her actually about the dream. And she said, well, my husband's got a, a ditch here that he hasn't used for a long time, you know, and, you know, you're welcome to borrow it. And by chance, it was easy to play. It was a short yudaki that just by chance was easy to play. And then from there... Mm-hmm. I taught myself because if it wasn't an easy um, instrument to play, I probably would have put it down, perhaps. But it felt like it came from the dream and then, you know, I, I just went with it. And it's like the instrument taught me how to play and then from there, you know, it's it's taken me around the world. But more importantly, it took me to Arnhem Land, you know, um, where Yidaki comes from because it wasn't traditionally played, you know, down here or anywhere else. Um, so... Yeah, it, um, it's, it's almost sort of like a gift, you know. It came as a gift. Mm-hmm. And can you just expand a little bit on the, on the difference between the Yudaki and, say, the, the traditional ditch, just for those, that, those listeners out there that may be just a little confused or would like to yeah, know more? Yeah, yeah. So um, Yudaki, I mean, there's, there's a few well-known uh, names um, for the instrument, but um, my connection up there is mainly with the Yurnal people. And the Yurnal people is... Um, uh, there's one particular man called uh, Jalu Gurawiri, and um, he has uh, appeared in a number of films. Uh, one of the latest ones is West Wind, and if you haven't seen it, West Wind is a is a deadly film. It's all about his journey and about his son Larry, who needs to carry on the tradition, and they're they're like the um, the custodians of the instrument. So. Um, being Yurnal people, it's well known that, um, you know, they call the instrument Yidaki. So Yidaki is kind of one of the, um, the well-known traditional names. Didgeridoo is um, almost like a whitefella name for mm-hmm. the instrument. It's the world-recognised um, name that people can relate to as such. Definitely. And, and I just want to know, have you seen more of an appreciation grow over the wider Australian community for the ditch? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I reckon, um, you know, when Yothu Yindi was sort of belting it out, it's like I think most of Australia just went, wow, you know, that's awesome, you know, and um, that was like one of the biggest 
I think those guys were at the forefront. And then, you know, there's there's been more, you know, contemporary players that have come through, you know, in the last years um, that have started mixing it, you know, with other instruments. And then deadly players from up north, you know, David Hudson, you know, and then you've got mob like, uh, you know, Xavier Rudd sort of mixed it in a new way. I've mixed it in a new way. And, and it's sort of, in my opinion, the, the, the motivation is through music, you bring people together but also you're hopefully inspiring people to go back to culture, you know, and learn more. So definitely um, bringing people together is uh, one of the, one of the great things about music. And that kind of segues me to a question that I wanted to speak to you about was, so I've had a fair few non-Aboriginal friends talk to me about the, um, the, 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 the welcome to countries and the digital playing that they, that they've um, experienced at music events and, those that those are such you, you yourself have played at. Can you sort of talk me through what it looks like when you rock up to a music event? And it's a lot of these music music events are the overwhelmingly non populations not non non indigenous, and you get such a positive response from the crowd when they're playing when you're playing your cultural music that's been passed down from you know generations, and you've you've put your own twist on it, and you've got these people reacting. Everyone's dancing from seven year olds to sixty year olds. You know the, all, all the videos I'm watching on YouTube. It seems like people genuinely feel um, a connection and and a spirit in your music, and you've kind of referred to that spirit a few times. But sort of paint a picture of what that looks like when you when you rock up to a music event and you can kind of feel the crowd almost kind of like not that they're not that, not that, not that they start off against you or anything like that but that, that by the end of it they're they're loving it they're loving your beat they're loving the, they're loving the digs they're loving they're loving the whole ganga giri band yeah 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 i think um you know the the dig has got like an energy about it and um straight away you know in a festival environment people are probably a bit scattered overstimulated and it's almost like welcome to country that elders do or people do to kind of, you know, set the space. You know, the dig just comes in. There's no thinking, you know, like it just grounds people out and it makes them present. So there's definitely an energetics that, that, that comes, you know, from the instrument and people feel it, you know. I, I don't talk too much on stage about who I am, where I come from, um, you know, the, the, the journey as such, although as, as I'm getting older and, you know, coming from different contexts, you know, I need to talk about more where I'm coming from and, and all that place. Um, but generally it's like you can come in and just set space quickly at like fast tracks, you know, the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I feel like the dig is is an instrument that captures people, you know, as soon as you hear it, it's wow, what is that? What is that sound? Why am I feeling yep. that? Why am I connected to this music right now? And I think that's a really powerful powerful way of describing the dig and and what you do really you know being at a music event and and hearing the dig and just going wow I feel connected and that's a part of our culture is that connection to country land and each other you know and I think that's awesome what you put out on the stage and and the vibe and the energy that you give to people and that really comes through in your performance yeah I, I understand what you're saying I, I feel the same you know it's um it's it, the didgeridoo or yidaki, it's like a, it's a hollow kind of log or a, or, or a hollow kind of vessel. It's like it's a conduit, you know, and I think um, in that way it's a gift, you know, and I think if we can be like a conduit as people, you know, so we can connect to, you know, the land and, and, and whatever it is that's greater and, and if we can stay open to those natural elements, then we're open to learning and we're, we're open to sort of being better people in a way and I think, Therefore, the instrument 
Well, the DIG has been an amazing teacher for me because it's taught me that, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, open to learning, and that's um, so. With your with some of the travels you've done, London, India, Italy, Germany, what have your experiences been like sharing culture and learning other cultures? And have have you been able to implement some of that into your musician playing when you've left those those countries? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was pretty moved by India. You know, I went there when I was eighteen because I wasn't ready to go to uh, university, and I didn't. Really- that's young, man. Yeah, it was super young. Um, I kind of, I had big, long, uh, you know, I got really, really curly hair, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> I went, I, I went, I went to India and I, I cut all the, the curls and greddies uh, off at that point. And um, some of the, the wise fellas like living in caves and letting go of a lot of material possessions. And they, they reminded me of like, you know, the old fellas, you know, the medicine men in certain areas up north, yep. you know. And so pretty much as soon as I, came back to Australia, you know, I just went, where's the colour? Where's the culture? You know, like, what's going on here? I'm, I'm, I'm bored, you know? Like, so then I just started, I, I went up to Darwin and started going into Arnhem Land and started, you know, connecting more with what's here because, you know, I don't know what it's like, you know, for you, Mob Down, here personally, for, for you both. Like, it's, it's, it's a lot harder to connect with culture down here. It's also spread out and, you know, like, you know, sometimes it's like, well, where, where is everybody, you know, sometimes? And up there, it's like you can just sort of tap in. It's like, oh, hello, where are you from? Oh, yeah, cool. And and it just sort of happens pretty easy. And um, so for me, just getting back from India, it was very reassuring just to sort of, you know, connect in, you know. Up north, culture is everywhere. And being down in Victoria, there's it's not in your face. The Aboriginal culture isn't in your face like it is in the Northern Territory, you know, and that's awesome to see that you recognise that. You've been in the music industry for a long time now, right, for, for a long time. Have you seen an appreciation for Aboriginal culture grow in the music industry? It has been growing. I mean, we've got amazing, you know, people that have come before us, you know, like, Old Uncle Archie, Roach, you know, there's been, like, mob that have done it tough that have come out of his his background into putting, um, you know, Aboriginal music out there. And in, in his days, the people that have come before us, it's, it's, been, it's been a hard road. And now in music, but I'm seeing it in education, I'm seeing it in lots of areas within the community, people want to know more, you know, and people that aren't connected to culture want to connect. They might not know how. But it's, it's happening. I think some of the dots are slowly starting to, you know, come together. Like for me, it's like, you know, I don't look like a traditional fellow. I didn't grow up in a traditional way, you know, at all. And part of me, in, in some ways, that gave me the motivation to want to express myself in that, um, you know, unifying and bringing together music, you know, which is a, an aspect of little, you know, every little bit of me. You know, there's like, there's technological, there's like, multicultural fuse with you know a, a grounding sort of you know aboriginal connection with the yuraki or did you know and you know my background has been when i'm playing it's like hopefully people feel this and 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 it, and it speaks louder than than actual words you know what i mean can you can you touch on some of the adversities and struggles that you've had to overcome to get to where you are, you know, taking off to India at 18 years old is a pretty determined decision to make. Where's, where's that come from? Is that, is that, do you think that's that spirit inside of you from that dream that is just 
that just blossomed and something that like you, you you've kind of said that it's almost hard to explain and a lot of a lot of um you know aboriginal people we do we do discuss that you know it's it's kind of something under that's just understood so yeah i think at 15 i had a, a dream uh, another dream that was sort of seemed like it was this place called india and then um my mum was yeah my mum gave me i think i was 12 when i had that dream my mum gave me this book that was like a spiritual book um and then I think at 15, I sort of recognised that maybe this place was India and I got this book called Autobiography of Yogis. And, you know, I started reading this book about all these amazing things that these yogi dudes could do that lived in the Himalayas, you know. And um, so I started saving from 15, knowing that when I was 18, I'd get a passport and go to India. And I think if I hadn't have gone and travelled and gotten away from my clique, um, my life would have turned out very differently. I probably would have followed the not so positive path, you know, that is just so so tempting to do, you know. Yep, and accessible and easy. Yep, right. I was I was I was set to go down that path yep. if I hadn't gone somewhere else. What are some words of wisdom or advice for young people feeling the same way you might have felt when you were fifteen, dealing with peer pressure and almost going down the wrong pathway, how to choose the right one? Well, you know, if I put it philosophically, you know, and I look back and I'm just speaking out loud, like, you know, and and if you look at how traditional um, Aboriginal culture still is in places and how it was in other places, there's a rites of passage. Now, a lot of, you know, young blackfellas, you know, male and female, I'm saying, you know, there, there was certain rites of passage that um, everybody's missing out on, you know, um, because the traditional way is not there anymore. And I think maybe on some level I was looking, because it was 18 when I went to India, I was looking for some rite of passage, you know, which um, who I was was no longer when I got back, you know, and it was super hard, you know. And so if I was to sort of, Therefore, use my my life path and put it in a way that is apparent to you know young people now. It's like you've got to be you know courageous. You've got to be ready to kind of make a break. You know you've got to be strong to kind of go. Okay, this is not serving me now. I know there's something else out there, and have the the courage to actually follow that positivity. Whether it's getting away from the mob that are not like serving you anymore, or to go travelling just to find out who you are or, you know, find your roots and actually if you can, you know, tap in and learn from from elders, if there's no elders, go somewhere where there are and just sit on country, sit on the land because, like, nature and learning from our elders is very, very integral stuff. Yeah, 100%. I think and I think it kind of emphasises of, of how long of a journey you've been on from all the way in your early teens and it sounds like you're probably entering a, diff, a, a second, third, fourth. I'm not sure even how you'd define the stage that you're entering but if we could just sort of touch on that quickly. I know you're, um, you're, giving, back, you're giving back a lot now and, and teaching the ditch to, the, to some of the younger ones. So can you speak to us just a little bit about how you'd like to see the next generation grow up in terms of cultural awareness and you know, also how do, how, do, how do young people get... Get started with the dig because I think that's one of the best tools that we we can have sometimes is to connect the young people is, is with an instrument like the dig that you know grabs them straight away. You know my, my biggest passion um, now that I am a dad. You know I've got um, a little daughter who's four. You know we live up here in Warrandyte. You know beautiful Wurundjeri country. You know we walk 
every day or most days by the river and you know my little daughter's just you know naturally you know connected and um you know she's got she's got i'm not teaching her music but she's already beatboxing and you know like clicking and she just learned whistling the other day and it's like i get her on the drums and you know i'm not going to teach her dig but i'm going to you know get her to beatbox and just you know feel the rhythm and stuff so um i think what what i'd like to see is um you know, the dots being joined uh, within the education department, you know, and it's like, seriously, I'd rather be playing festivals or, you know, um, you know, travelling or whatever if it wasn't for me being a dad. But um, what I see that it's important now is just more um, Aboriginal education within the school system. So um, I've set up a non-for-profit, you know, I want to help get um, good educators together and we can, you know, help aid and push you know like really good quality um aboriginal content um you know that is within the protocol you know of, you know and honorable for aboriginal people and therefore teachers can actually feel um comfortable about teaching because right now what i'm hearing and what i'm getting when i meet people and teachers it's like oh we're not sure if we can teach that because we don't know whether it's right or we don't know whether you know, and so um, I see myself as right in between. It's like I know real traditional mob and I know not so traditional mob and I know a lot of different people, so to speak. And I can see that if there is like a clear channel from the source to the people that are really hungry to learn and want to do the right thing, those teachers can then teach the new generation and they look at, it, at how amazing Aboriginal culture is, you know, because it is so varied, as you guys know. I mean, there's so many aspects of music, of hunting, of boomerang throwing, of like just cool stuff that kids are into, adults are into. It's like, so if kids can see that from an early age, that empowers Aboriginal culture, that that, that empowers like non-Aboriginal um, people to kind of be really proud of where they come from. And then there's no, there's, there's, there's you know, everything racial is broken down and, you know, like, it just sort of, I think there becomes a place of harmony within in the community more too. So um, that's that's something that I'd like to, that I'm moving more towards. Um, and, and in the future as a non-for-profit, I'd like to, you know, bring in some sort of mentoring, you know, and, 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 and get young fellas playing, you know, dig, yidaki, um, getting out there and, and helping teach and, and, and get it out there, you know. Definitely. I completely agree with what you're saying. Knowledge is power. Education is power. How are people meant to understand and acknowledge and appreciate our culture if they don't know about it? If they haven't been educated from a young age, how are we meant to break down those racial barriers? You know, it's about implementing education for the wider non-Aboriginal society, but also the Aboriginal society, you know, bringing back those traditional customs and ways that you would have learnt when going up to Arnhem Land and seeing mob there practising ancient culture, you know, ancient culture and law. And it's awesome to see you going into that non-for-profit organisational way to implement educational strategies to get the wider and f- further generations to be able to pass down ancient culture 
And there's there's also um, Gengar. I've, I've I've got a few friends that are high school and primary school teachers, right? And we have spoken to them. Uh, a topic that comes up quite often: cultural awareness training, and um, you know, different different things that they that that they get put through before they can, um, you know, obviously become uh, finish their teaching course. And from those that I've spoken to, it, it almost leaves it almost leaves some of the teachers that I've spoken to more on the fence of where to sit. Do you do you see a bit of a gap there when you talk about education? Because that's uh, it, it seems to be it seems to be something that comes up in 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 my in conversations with me when I when I have these conversations. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's awkward, you know. I mean, it's 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 awkward for all parties because you know. I, I think at the end of the day, everybody wants to do the right thing, eh? Yeah. You know, um, and you know there is there is local protocol, you know, and but within that local protocol, you got different families, you got that mob, this mob, different mob, that elder, and you know, and when especially down here, I think when culture sort of you know, being broken down a bit, um, people want to put forth the truth, but sometimes the truth is different to different mob, you know. So, and so within the black fella community, it's awkward, you know, but then in the white fella community, it's like, well, yeah, we'd really like to connect with, you know, Aboriginal people and we'd like to do the right thing and we'd like to learn, but we don't know where to go. We don't know what's right. So everybody's sort of tippy-toeing around, you know, something that um, is meant to be, an empowering um, experience, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in and around there. So I guess if if there was something where, you know, like the oldest living tradition from the very north could come down, you know, or where the, where the cultural hotspots are, if there's like definitely an acknowledgement of, of country, you know, because I think there needs to be, you know, local protocol and recognition, but then... There might be areas that, you know, are still living cultures that haven't actually stopped, you know, living through tribal law could just come in and just go bang, you know. It's like there was, you know, for instance, you know, like Adna Mutna people like in the Flinders Range used to go, you know, the Pichinjara mob to get initiated, you know, and try, inter-tribes would do that sometimes to help each other out to keep culture strong, you know, and I'm just sort of wondering that perhaps maybe there's, there's ways to sort of help um, you know, areas out with culture, but it would be a dream if there was some sort of, you know, Australian Aboriginal curriculum that would um, oversee all of it that was pure, that empowered all, you know what I mean? Definitely. What you've just said, Gunga, warms my heart. As a person, as a young Aboriginal woman who grew up in the Northern Territory, it's awesome to see your appreciation from for mob up there and the ancient culture that is still practised and as a Northern Territory, as an Arunta woman from the Northern Territory, I feel privileged to be able to have experienced some of the ancient cultural traditions and to see the Victorians and wider community trying to bring that back is amazing, right? And we are so lucky up north to be able to have that culture still embedded, you know, ceremonies and um, initiations, what you talk about with the Pitch and Mob. You know, it's, it's awesome to see that. What is a way that you think we will be able to bring that culture, that ancient, pure, not tokenistic almost culture back? How do we implement those ways from mob that still have that culture, do you think? Well, I reckon it's, it's huge. It's bigger than all of us. Um, I reckon um, to start off with, it's got to be um, available 
you know, but before it can be available, it's got to it's got to come from you know like real teachers that are able to share. You know, it's like if we go to areas like you know where you where you get where you come from or where where I've gone, and, and it's like there's so much culture, therefore there's so much to share. You know, and if we could just get a little bit of that, you know, write permissions and everything, and then you know it could be some sort of an online portal you know, that um, teachers can access, kids can access, for instance. And perhaps that would therefore then inspire local mob to get involved, you know. Like, I mean, I've got something that's 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 sketched up that uh, I want to try and, you know, get momentum and, it, and part of it is an online portal that then, um, you know, can bring in local elders and, and you know, help join those dots. So, like, um, yeah, I'm chipping away at something and... I don't necessarily want to be the face of it. That's why, you know, there's a non-for-profit that's coming up and um, I can just help sort of just, you know, help join some dots to try and make this, you know, come about. Um, so, because it's, it's, it's bigger than all of us, you know, but it really needs to happen, eh? So it seems like you're, you're an entrepreneur in your own way. Um, we talk a lot about self-determination in VACA and just in the Aboriginal community, claiming back what is ours, claiming our journey, claiming the next part of our life. What does self-determination mean to a black fella like you? Um, I don't know. I, I just sort of, um, I, I just live my life like, um, I just follow my passion, you know what I mean? And and if I can follow me passion that is a contribution to a greater good or of service, then um, that to me gives me, you know, reason to do what I do. Um, you know, I think there's there's plenty of ways to make money. And if you want to make money, you know, you could go and sell used cars, you know, because um, uh, everybody needs a car. But I think to chip away at... Um, you know, community things or even, you know, being a touring musician or whatever, they're, they're not necessarily easy easy paths, but are they things that make me happy? Are they things that can share a greater good to a wider community? Yeah, that has meaning. So that's been my motivation really. That was a very that was a very humble response, Ganga, which is sort of a vibe that I've gotten from you from the uh, from the start since we've gotten on. So mad props to you, bros, for sort of um, accomplishing everything you've done and being as talented as you are. Ganga, what are your future plans in the music industry? I mean, I'd I'd personally love to see you play and love to see you mob on stage and and all of that. What are your future plans in the um, music industry? Yeah, good question. <laughs> um, it's a little bit un- uncertain, to be honest. I think it's given me more time to, you know, have have time with family, but also, you know, look into what I'd like to see with, like, say, the education side of things. You know, we're being asked sometimes to, uh, you know, do some online teaching and whatever else, and I think, um, you know, maybe it'll be more the teaching role or building the back end of something that can help facilitate, you know, more teaching. Um, Music-wise, geez, I think um, the only way we could probably do music is, um, you know, hopefully maybe go for some grants, which I've always been self-funded, but um, I think maybe go for some grants to actually, um, 
you know, I'd like to do an online festival. I'm pretty much running a, um, the Melbourne Didgeridoo and Culture Festival. We're going to start and, you know, we, we're collating that right now. Um, so that's uh, up here in Manningham, Wurundjeri country. We're going to involve, you know, um, an old uncle that we're really close with to come and talk about significant places, um, educate a little bit about Wurundjeri and then have different players from around the world, you know, and talk about, you know, how um, didgeridoo and how Aboriginal culture has inspired them. They play, so everybody's got their own little snippet, but then bring it back to the old uncle of significant place within, you know, Manningham here. And then, um, yeah, so that'll be a contribution that's coming out. I'd like to get that out for maybe NAIDOC week. So there's that happening. I mean, there's a lot of things happening, but um, really it'd be a dream just to be able to make music in a really good studio with my whole band. But, um, you know, we've got to see, because it's like you put that amount of energy into something that you can't then perform, that you're essentially giving away for free. It's like, you know. So taking it back to when you were 15 and you were about to go down that wrong path, hanging out with the wrong people, doing the wrong things, and then you chose your path and you chose to save and you chose to go to India. We talk a lot about in Aboriginal culture healing and how culture can be healing. Was this a big process for you going from the wrong to the right? You know, when, even when you're sort of in it, in the thick of things, when you're looking for truth, you try different things, you know, and, and really it's not that they're wrong or right essentially if they're not hurting somebody. But, you know, when you're that age, you know, you can easily muck up. You know, like it's just easy to fall off, you know. Um, I didn't really have any, um, you know, strong role models or elders at that time, you know, especially like, you know, my parents had split up and, you know, it was kind of like it was a pretty shaky time. But I knew that I had to have a job. I was also doing martial arts. The martial arts really helped me with self-discipline. I highly recommend, you know, like, doing some sort of martial arts just to get that sort of young, crazy energy out, you know, but also to have the confidence in the world, you know, to sort of have that expression for being a warrior. And then I started saving for that ticket at 18. And, like, up until my birthday, I potentially could have mucked up. Like, as soon as I turned 18, I knew that, you know, I'm not going to get a slap on the wrist anymore. I've got to get a plane to India. And I did. And uh, it changed me. So I had a clean cut. Well, you know, so. Far out, man. You must have been running around with some uh, real heavies because you had to leave the country. <laughs> the, the little, the literally the country, not, uh, not, off, not off your country. You had, to, you had to leave the continent, mate. So, <laughs> so you made sure you got away. I could tell you some stories there, bud. <laughs> I would, I, well, I'd, li- I'd like to hear them another time, but um, I'm sure, I'm sure there would be. I've actually heard... Um, a lot of people, one of one of our um, people we're actually going to interview next on the potty, Lionel Louch, talk about how India has a quite a great appreciation of Aboriginal culture. Did you find when you went there that was what was happening, or do you think that that's they have a greater appreciation now? Or I don't know. All I can say is that um, them old. Um uh, like sadhus, you know, like they're like the yogis. Like they remind me of the old chulpis or them old medicine fellas from up north, you know, them fella. You know, like them fella that you don't look at, you know, like the the fellas that are just so strong and focused that they look right through you. Like there's that same thing. And um, 
I, I drew my own comparisons, you know, but I, I, I can't say for sure whether, um, you know, the Indian mob knew much about mob over here so much, but I could definitely see the, uh, the similarities, you know. Isn't it crazy when you um, sit down with a traditional healer or an elder from, uh, from, a, from a mob, you feel that sense of connection and warmth you feel that spirit when you're sitting down with your mob in the ground, looking around at the trees, observing and just really kind of connecting on a different level. I think that's what you bring into your music and you give to other people and other people are fortunate to be able to hear that. So we as Aboriginal people want to thank you for bringing that to the music industry and just and to young people in general. Do you have any words of advice for young people wanting to follow their dreams or have a passion but don't really know the next step to be able to take to, to the next level? I reckon just be brave and just take that first step. Just go for it, you know, because really I think if you, if you can dream it and you have this vision, you just got to take that first step because each step gets easier and then you've got the momentum behind you, the support from community, and then it just just you know it's snowball it's easier you know, the there, so. so for those for those listening out there right that that want to play the dids right they've been talking about it with 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 their mates or whoever for a couple of years right and we all we, we all know people like this that have been mentioning it for a few years that you know i want to play the dids and i gotta learn you gotta find someone to you know teach me and you want to find a you know traditional owner or how do, how does how does one go about learning to play the dids someone's got no experience might not be tied into culture or community well, where, where would you tell them to start Oh, get in contact. Hey, I'm, I'm happy to give people, you know, tips just to get, you know, get playing. Um, I, I think it's it's not that hard to do, but it's a very, very um, empowering thing to do. You know, I think the breath, you know, is, is a great connection to yourself and then that connects to, to country and it's like a very good foundation, you know. for. Can you elaborate on that breathing for, for a moment? Well, the, the circular breathing, as we know, which means there's no stop, you know, and... A lot of um, men especially are shallow breathers. But if you're breathing, you know, with your whole kind of diaphragm and your chest, like the three different parts of your your chest area, you're doing yourself, you know, like you're kind of, you know, giving to yourself because you're breathing correctly. It has been known to cure certain health ailments, you know, from breathing correctly. And, uh, you know, so therefore it's good for your mind. It's good for your body. It just sort of grounds you out, you know, like even there was times when I was a young fella, if I felt angry or if I was, you know, feeling like a cigarette or whatever, I gave up smoking because, you know, every time I felt like a, a cigarette um, or if I felt angry, I'd pick up the ditch and I'd just plug. And then that, that, that helped me get good because I had that passion, you know. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually love to get in contact and have you come out um, with our youth services team and kind of speak to our young people because... What you're putting out to the wider community, to the Aboriginal community is awesome. And I'd love to have you to come and speak to our young people and kind of try and pass on those traditions. It'd be really cool. I'd be honoured. I love what you guys do and um, you're doing real good things. And, um, yeah, everybody I've met who's connected to your organisation, you know, good good people. I've uh, lately been connected to the mob out here in um, uh, Churnside Park. And but, uh, I'm hanging to get down to see some ocean down your way. Oh, it's beautiful country we're on at the moment. I'm, me and Chris are both blessed and we're so grateful for Mob Down Here for welcoming us as we're not from, this is not our country, so we're really grateful that you, Mob, are 
allowing us to be on this country and we respect and acknowledge the traditional owners. So Gunga, it's it's been awesome to have you on today. We've learned heaps and you seem like a really down-to-earth Aboriginal bloke. And um, yeah, is there any last words of advice or wisdom or anything you'd like to put out to the community? I reckon we've covered a lot. but uh, We can yarn a lot, hey? <laughs> I, I, re- I reckon just, you know, follow your passion, you know, follow what makes you happy. Well, good on you, Ganga. It was great to have you on, mate. I think you're um, a truly inspiring role model for all, all, all of our community. You know, I hope to see you around and be able to attend one of these, um, one of your future music events because from what I'm seeing and, you know, from what I've heard of you, you're, you're, you're a special artist, mate. So um, hats off to you and really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. My pleasure. Hope to come down for a yarn sometime or, you know, if you see us at a festival, come up and say day. Oh, trust sure. me, I will. <laughs> I'll be there on the dance floor front and centre. Oh, better. That's oh, him. Oh, definitely. Trust me, I will. Tune in next week, guys, for Lionel Louch and another episode of Mob Talk. Mob Talk. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Ganga. Thank you, Ganga.